Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Rumble. We invite anyone listening to this podcast to join us live on Zoom or by phone and share your thoughts on the issues we discuss. Likewise, we welcome your feedback through email by emailing us at ejsshow at protonmail.com. So good afternoon, everybody. Hey, Jody. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, before we get to the unimportant topics, I do want to mention that, thank God, the world is going in the right direction. Um, Penn State, which I used to be a university, I believe, no longer wants people to be called juniors and seniors because it's too sexist. And I swear. Sexist, that, not ageist? What's that? Sexist rather than ageist? Oh, it may be that too. Who knows? They're, they're worried about the sexist because it sounds like fathers and sons. Um, this is not from the Babylon Bee. <laughs> I think the Babylon Bee actually says there's not much we can put out there for satire because they're going so absolutely, unbelievably off the wall. So the reality is uh, more absurd than satire. It, that, that is, that's up there with the uh, blacks complaining that soap dispensers are racist because they have to turn the palms up for it to recognize them. Well, so, I, I went to Pitt, so to correct you, it's State Penn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's actually, Mike, do you know that that's actually at the heart of the uh, Mark Stein case against Michael Mann? He said, he said he, Michael Mann was the famous hockey stick guy right, 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 yeah. on environmentalism. And, and in, in criticizing Michael Mann, uh, Mark Stein said that he, he says he's at Penn State, but he really should be at the, pen, at the state pen. And that was the basis of the defamation lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, now I, I did not know that that was his main thing. And now I'm not on his side anymore. Um, They've had also, a problem that, at State Penn, but we won't mention that. I also want to mention, in the interest of all the world's problems being solved, um, let's see. I'm a New Yorker. Laser lived in New York. Ed is New Jersey. Mike is New Jersey. I so was born and raised in New York, Steve. Okay. So at least four of us have been subject, I believe, to de Blasio's 25-mile-an-hour speed limits. Well, he's now found another 45 miles of New York streets to lower the speed limits. Because apparently some of them you could still do 35 or something. So thank God we're going to save more lives by lowering the speed limit even more. Yes, we, we love I think it. The most, remarkable, the most remarkable part of that entire story is that he found 45 miles of blacktop that you could refer to as a street in New York City. That's, yes, I haven't it, seen 45 miles of well-paved New York City in a decade there. Right. Well, I think he, he adds the potholes into it, depending on the size of the potholes, but that's going to get way too Talmudic. So I can find 45 miles of potholes in any, in any zip code. That's easy. Yeah. I would really accept the 25 mile an hour speed limit as long as we can do it during protests. <laughs> well, um, Laser, do you remember the exact wording of the Liberty Black bumper sticker? Uh I believe it's, am I going too slow rethink speed limit laws? I would check my truck, but I'm far away from it. Right. Well, I know that in New York, when you do 25 miles an hour, which I do on many streets because there's cameras, the people behind you are not happy. 
So it's kind of funny. But on to more serious stuff, we uh, may want to discuss a little bit what's going on in the Middle East and what should and is America's stance and the stance of some of their representatives and they're getting clobbered in both sides. Uh, may want to talk about the NRA lawsuit a little bit since we have someone who can probably explain some of that to us. Um, I want to mention that gun control has been working great in Britain. Apparently there are sword fights on the street. It's working great in Russia where there was a school shooting and I believe nine children were killed. I assume Russia has gun control. So I'm not quite sure how that happened. Um, so apparently it's not quite working the way it's supposed to. But anyway, let's talk about foreign policy. We spoke about it a few weeks ago vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine and what should America's stance be, if anything? Should we be totally isolationist? So I, I assume most people right now know that Israel and Hamas, which controls Gaza, is sort of in a mini war right now, if you can use that word. There's been hundreds and hundreds of rockets um, fired into Israel. Most have been knocked down by Iron Dome. There have been civilians killed on both sides of it. Israel claims it strategically killed six very high ups in the Hamas organization, et cetera, et cetera. I believe the squad has predictably come out very much against Israel. If I remember correctly, Andrew Yang did not, and he's being screamed at, I believe, by AOC for not being against Israel. But I would love to hear everybody's opinions as Americans, what should be America's stance, if anything, towards this. Ed Maslis, you want to go first? Well, I tend towards isolationism in the first place, but I think, paradoxically, I think that in a, in a vacuum, you know, without looking at full context, I think that American strength in the world is a good thing. And I think that when the, when, when the U.S. doesn't exert leadership in the world, the world suffers from it and chaos does reign and the bad guys do take over. Um, but that said, I don't think you can look at the U.S. today and not look at who's in charge of the U.S. and who's in charge of foreign policy, who's in charge of the military, and, and I just don't see the Biden administration doing anything to make any foreign policy situation better. So my advice to them would be stay out as much as possible. Um, I think that the Israelis should act and I think they should act forcefully. Um, but from America's perspective, I think that the best thing that we can do is stay out. So not even call people up and say, cool it especially not call up and tell people cool it because if they pick up the phone and tell people to cool it, they're going to call Netanyahu 10 times and they're probably not even going to call Hamas even once. Wait, you mean Biden did have Netanyahu's phone number all this time? I'm sure he has it somewhere. I'm sure he has it somewhere. I have a stupid question. What does, any, what does Netanyahu want from Biden or America? Exactly. Is as involvement. I don't think he wants anything from America. Okay, so the isolationism is maybe good. Well, the problem is that Biden unfroze or gave hundreds of millions of dollars to the Palestinians. I don't remember the details. So if someone does, please jump in. Okay. That maybe Trump had froze it. Stop. Yeah, I mean, the basic idea is that even if you're totally an isolationist, you can still have opinions on like India versus Pakistan. I don't think the United States has a dog in that fight, but I, you can still have an opinion on it. Um, yes. 
Unfortunately, in our particular case, um, the Palestinians have been an irritant for, uh, you know, 50 years. And the, I w was in Orlando on 9-11, so I had a 12-hour drive that night to come back to my house. And of course, you were thinking about a lot of things. And I thought uh, one of the times as I was driving up, well, at least the Palestinian problem is going to be solved after 9-11 because obviously the United States is not going to allow these terrorists to um, exist anymore um, in the, you know, in the heart of the Middle East. And boy, was I wrong. Um, so the, the question, I guess, is when Trump finally came out and said, look, you people are a bunch of terrorists. We're not giving you any more money. And uh, we're not even dealing with you. And we're not even handed anymore. And we're, we're not even going to pretend to be even handed. And screw you guys, we're going home. Um, the uh, uh, peace broke out all over the Middle East. It was shocking. The moment president said, gave the big middle therapists, couldn't, couldn't make these fast. And now Biden is undoing all of that. And I think that, I think that that's kind of our involvement, right? I mean, America's involvement is money. Finally, we finally did something good, which was to give the middle figure to the Palestinians and to tell the Arabs in no uncertain terms, look, this is your time. And got a lot of people to sign up and maybe some people to almost sign up that would have signed up in 2021 had Trump been reelected. And now Biden's undoing all of this. And that that's a real that's a real disaster because it's it's a, an advance that the United States had made in a diplomatic sense. Um, you know, the United States is allowed to engage in diplomacy, even if we're isolationists. We're still allowed to say, hey. Uh, you guys and you guys, you should be friends. I mean, we're allowed to do that. That's not, that's not anything that's not. And that's what we did under Trump. And that was a very good thing. And Biden's undoing it. And, what's, and, it, and what we're going to see is potentially a regional war there that's going to suck the United States in. And it's a disaster. Well, I don't know that it'll suck the United States in. That I'm not sure about. Um, I tend to believe, maybe naively, that most Palestinians don't give a hoot about any of this, that most of them wake up, <laughs> eat their cornflakes or cocoa pebbles, go to work, take care of their families, go home at night and watch Netflix. And I think you're alluding to the fact that we've been rewarding Hamas's terroristic behavior for so long. They make trouble, Israel gives them something, Israel backs off. When Trump finally took that away, things calm down for a while. And if Hamas would stop with its terrorism, I believe 80% of the Palestinians could go on and have a wonderful life. And frankly, there'd be almost no border between there and Israel because Israel wouldn't care if they go back and forth and see their relatives, etc. So I think in that sense, by letting Hamas do what it wants and not stomping them down, we're hurting the Palestinians even when we're hurting the Israelis. Well, you know, where does the funding for Hamas come from? That was what I was trying to get at a little bit. Iran, I believe. It, it, Iran. No, the United Nations and the United States. 
States. The <laughs> weapons come from Iran. The money comes from you, all of you. So I wanted to, to say what MP just said. Well, from yeah, I, I guess some of it, yeah, through the United Nations and Europe, yeah. Well, th this is part of the reason why I say we we can't be isolationists per se, and I think prudence is the better word when it comes to foreign policy. To, to Ed Powell's point, uh, what what can we do? What can't we do? I think there is a role for diplomacy, but I also think we can't have our eyes closed and not realize the broader implications that are at play. And, uh, you know, Iran remains the menace in that region of the world. And quite honestly, I mean, they've, they have American blood on their hands for years now, dating back to when I was 10 years old and they took uh, hostages, right? So in some ways I feel like it's overdue that they get that punch in the face that I think we've talked about <laughs> behind the scenes. But, um, you know, that, that, that's the major player. They're the menace. And I don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, in terms of, of addressing them right now. Well, nobody's going to take Iran out. And as Ed Powell shared with us a few days ago, nobody probably could take Iran out. So it's going to be really hard to keep them from using uh, society through their surrogates all over the world. It seems, if I'm correct, that Saudi Arabia is starting to slightly thaw their relationship with Iran, even though they're scared of them because he can no longer count on you know, the strength of the United States, et cetera, et cetera. And he doesn't want to keep Iran, Saudi Arabia doesn't want to keep Iran ticked off at them. That's my understanding of what's going on right now. Well, there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? I mean, we brought down the Soviet empire without firing a shot at them, so. <laughs> well, know. unless you count the 8 billion rounds in Vietnam and the ones proxy given war. Afghanistan right. and the ones proxy. A, a proxy war, which is in a sense. Well, by the way, you know, you're making a great point, Mike. And I think one of the things Trump did to break, to take down Iran a whole bunch of pegs, which is very, very relevant to all of us today, especially those of us in cars, is by freeing up the American energy industry and making us like the world's biggest producer, exporter, whatever else he did. That took away the power of Iran and Middle Eastern countries. They need the money for the oil and gas. And now Biden is reversing that as well. You know, he stops the pipeline, the Keystone pipeline. He wants to stop all the fracking, et cetera, et cetera. So in that sense, we're giving power back, going back to OPEC from way back in the 70s, if anybody's old enough to remember that. So I think, yeah, one of the ways to take Iran down would be to stop giving them money. Am I correct, Ed P, am I correct that that's where they get most of their money? Iran? Yeah, from oil? Uh, from, from oil, yeah. The, the uh, you know, this uh, Sunni Shiite fight has been going on since about 700 AD, and we are not going to solve it. <laughs> there ain't nothing we can do to solve this problem. So, uh, the, the, the Saudi monarchy is in serious demographic trouble because there are more Shiites surrounding Saudi and a lot in Saudi than there are Sunnis. And that's, that's, the, that's the essential issue. Um, demography is destiny and Saudi Arabia doesn't look like what their destiny looks like. Yeah. Okay. Any more thoughts on the Middle East or we'll move on? 
think we can move on. I got to vote that we move on. Um, I wanted to spend a couple of minutes just for my own selfish reasons. Um, Ed may be able to explain to us exactly what's going on with the NRA. I mean, guns are obviously always in the news for many different reasons, but the NRA just lost at least one stage of a big suit, a bankruptcy. So Ed, if you want to give us some quick background and what this suit was that they lost, what it means, et cetera. Well, basically the New York Attorney General instituted a regulatory action against the NRA. Uh, they started an investigation in 2017, and they basically made it clear that they're looking to destroy the organization. Um, they reviewed all of their transactions. They found a whole bunch of uh, allegedly illegal transactions, and they filed, I think it's a 163-page complaint in the New York courts asking, among other things, for dissolution which is to, to end the existence of the nonprofit organization, which is a power that the New York Attorney General has as part of its regulatory oversight. And indeed, every state that has charities in it is gonna, that has a charity formed within it uh, has that power. The NRA was formed in New York in 1871. That's why the New York AG has jurisdiction over, over their affairs in the first place. Um, as part of defending that lawsuit uh, in late December of 2020 and then January of 2021, the NRA came up with this plan to move to Texas, reincorporate there and to use the bankruptcy laws to try and uh, perpetuate its existence as a going concern. Uh, and using the going concern language was part of the a big part of their plan. What does that mean? A going, I mean, a, a going concern is a business that's got an ongoing existence and it's an ongoing uh, operation. Um, the NRA could go out of business and a new organization could form in its stead, but it wouldn't be the same going concern. It wouldn't have the same continuity of leadership of, uh, just who the NRA is. I mean, when, if we say NRA, most people in America know what the NRA is. They don't know, for example, what the gun owners of America are. I mean, you can tell from the name, but it's not the same as knowing what the NRA is. It's just a much more uh, well-known brand. Um, but when they filed this, they, they, they formed a new entity and then they filed a bankruptcy petition. The new entity, it's a little complicated legal, I won't get into the legal legalities, but uh, all, all the entities filed in bankruptcy court in Texas uh, seeking chapter 11 reorganization, which is a permissible thing. But the key, the key thing is bankruptcy, people don't understand this. People think that bankruptcy is a debtor's remedy, but in fact, bankruptcy is a creditor's remedy uh, the, the discharge that's given to debtors, and there's not really a discharge in chapter 11, there's kind of sort of one, but uh, the discharge is really just an enticement to the debtor to get the debtor to cooperate and to get the debtor to bring all its assets to the table and to make sure that the creditors are going to get paid in full. But it's bankruptcy is designed to be a creditor's remedy. Um, and the the purpose of the filing was to avoid dissolution, was to avoid the regulatory remedy sought by the New York Attorney General. Um, 
And in the court papers that the NRA filed, they repeatedly made clear that they had more than enough money to pay all of the creditors in full. And so the judge basically said, there's no real reason for this filing other than to try and thwart the regulatory oversight of the New York legislature and the New York uh, attorney general. And it's not, pro it's not a proper basis for filing a bankruptcy position. That's a little bit long-winded, but that's basically what happened. Okay, so they wanted to file bankruptcy as a way to not get dissolved in New York and not lose their name so they could continue under that name in Texas? Is that kind of it? That's basically what was going on, yeah. Do you think they argued from the wrong perspective? I mean, was their argument wrong that they lost? Should they have gone that route? Um, we, yeah, we can pay everyone. Well, Did that undermine the argument? I, I would need to look at the case more, you know, I'd need to know more facts about it. Um, I just read the opinion that the judge wrote. It's a 38 page opinion. Um, that sort of cuts both ways because if they, if they were to say that they couldn't pay every creditor, I mean, first of all, it would have probably been just an untrue statement because they have to disclose all their assets and all their liabilities and all their, what are called contingent liabilities, which is, you know, for instance, if there's a lawsuit pending, you may not, you know, there's no, until there's a judgment, you don't owe any money, but it's a, it's what's called a contingent liability. And I don't think that they were insolvent. And the, the judge's opinion says that they weren't insolvent, meaning that they, they had more than enough assets to pay their creditors. Um, whether they could have, I mean, I suppose you could try and inflate what the you know, what the penalties might be from the New York attorney general, but. Um, Don't you try to go in knowing though that that argument's not gonna hold up to facts? I mean, didn't um, kind of I wasn't part of the, of the meetings, but if I were the bankruptcy attorneys, I would have told them that there are some risks to this strategy. It's a little bit of a long shot. It may not work. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't have been telling them, you know, pay me lots of money because I'm gonna make this work for you. Uh, but I, that's that's what I think was going on. And does this tie into all this alleged corruption on the part of their boss? What's the name? We Absolutely. How does that? What's going on with that? What is that about? Well, like I said, the the regulatory investigation revealed that Wayne Lapierre and several other leaders of the organization had engaged in a whole series of. Uh, very questionable financial practices and transactions. Um, they even oh, I don't think they're questionable, and they're totally fraudulent. <laughs> totally what? They're totally, uh, uh, you know, insider fraud. I mean, everybody knows that the NRA has been uh, engaging in, you know, money laundering for the the top people for ten or fifteen years now. I mean, I've certainly read about it. And because I'm an NRA uh, member and I listen to both the NRA and their critics, uh, their critics on the right, not their critics on the left. The critics on the right. Well, yeah, so, they yeah, have they're these acknowledged in their the charities file IRS form 990 and on their, I think, 2020 990 for tax year 2019, they disclosed a, a whole series of what are called excess benefit transactions. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not a secret. 
I always wonder what EBT stood for. Oh my God, they talk about your EBT cards and stuff. That's what it stood for. Stop smiling. And this is not. This is not uh, unique to the NRA. Um, uh, there are plenty of uh, decent charities in the world, but as soon as the charities start to have a lot of money, then corruption almost inevitably follows. I, I don't know of any charity that uh, isn't corrupt. Um, you know, at some level, once they start having real money, whether it's uh, hiring relatives to uh, run their, uh, you know, fundraising uh, routines or, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, paying uh, money uh, like the NRA did uh, with this sweetheart deal with this uh, one uh, organization. Um, and the money gets uh, spread around to all the right people. Um, you know, the, the Red Cross has been shown to be corrupt. The various uh, medical charities are corrupt. Of course, all the universities are corrupt. The, um, the Catholic Church, I rest my case. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not unique to the NRA, um, but this prosecution from the New York AG is 100% political in nature um, because she could have gone after the American Cancer Society or the Red Cross or any of a number of different uh, organizations that engage in all of these same questionable behaviors. But she went after the NRA for a specific purpose. And that is because they're very, very effective at lobbying for governments. So the only thing they lose if the attorney general or the prosecutor, whatever New York wins, is that they can't come back under that name? I mean, it'll depend on what the final order says, but I mean, the final order can't prevent some new organization from coming into existence to, to fight for gun rights. One wonders who owns like, okay, so the, the name National Rifle Association is an asset which would be seized by the government and the government could decide to sell it to someone if they wanted to, or they could just decide to keep it. The, well, uh, you can't really sell trademarks that way. It's Sure you can. The Pan Am got sold after bankruptcy and there are other uh, airlines picked up um, the name Pan Am. So it's, right, it's but definitely something. I mean, but Pan Am, the, the successor has to be engaged in the same business. I mean, the New York AG, if the, right, right. The, pur the purpose is to destroy the NRA and destroy gun rights, you know, I could see you, someone thinking that they would sell the name, the NRA to some fake gun organization or some gun control organization. And every gun control organization claims that they're project protecting legitimate gun rights. What court would say uh, otherwise in New York? Um, I don't know. That'd be an interesting legal question. So basically, if they lose this and they want to reconstitute in Texas, they're going to need another name. That's kind of the bottom line. The, the real, the real asset, though, of the NRA is the membership list, including um, people's names, addresses, phone numbers, right. emails, that sort of thing. Now, this is digital, right? So you can have a billion different copies, uh, 
without any cost. So I would, uh, this is one thing I would ask Ed, would the bankruptcy court uh, require, suppose, uh, or, or not the bankruptcy court, so the AG, suppose the AG wins, which she's going to do, and they dissolve the NRA, which is going to happen. Yep. Would she order all copies of the membership list and the emails and everything um, transferred uh, as an asset? The assets all get transferred to the state of New York in penalty. Um, or can she only, can she order all copies or just some copies? You, you know what I mean? That's the question. I think we, I, I forget if we discussed this on the air a couple of weeks ago or if we just discussed it privately, but um, there's a case from 1957 called NAACP versus Alabama X-Rail Patterson. And that was a case where the Alabama, uh, I forget which branch of the government, uh, they, they wanted the membership list of the NAACP. And it was ostensibly for the purpose of regulating them the same way the New York AG is regulating the NRA right here. Uh, but the NAACP knew that the purpose of turning over that list was to expose all of their members to harassment by the, by the Klan and by other organizations down in Alabama. And it went, the case went all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, no, you, you can't make them give up that membership list. Now, you, uh, Steve and Ed are both correct that the, the membership list of however many millions of people is an extremely valuable asset. And in a bankruptcy court, they, that would be something to be distributed to creditors if there are creditors that are not paid in full. Um, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to be pedder, creditors that aren't paid in full, but assuming there aren't, I think it's a really interesting legal question. And there's and, and the reason it might have come up on our show a couple of weeks ago is because there's actually a case that the Supreme Court just accepted cert on where they're going to examine whether they're, whether they're going to keep NAACP versus Alabama XRL Patterson. So that's a decision that's forthcoming from the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, if they uphold that prior precedent, then I think it's less likely that they can force that that uh that the New York Attorney General can force the courts to give them that list, but um, if yeah, that like, why are they revisiting that for why are they revisiting that precedent? Well, that's my that's my old organization, Americans for Prosperity Foundation. Right. So, just Explain. to summarize it as quickly as I can, when Kamala Harris was the Attorney General in California, she was demanding that AFP AFPF uh, turn over their donor lists, make it public, and they refused. And to, again, to make the long story short, that case is now before the Supreme Court. So AFP is trying to protect their privacy on that issue. No, the They're, privacy of its members, of its yeah, donors. Okay. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Essentially their First Amendment rights. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. So I have a gun-related question that was bothering me as a libertarian states' rights person. There was a podcast by Suzanne Sherman last week where she interviewed our buddy Marcus Ruiz from CalExit. And they were talking about, you know, the states want to split off so that they can control their own territories, their own laws, et cetera. And she brought up the issue of gun right reciprocity. 
And she said, we don't want to be in a country that can pass a gun, right rep gun rights reciprocity act and force us to allow crazy people from Wyoming to carry their guns on the streets of California. And when I thought about that, I realized I'm stuck because I'm 100% pro-gun rights. I totally believe the Second Amendment pretty much bans any restrictions on guns whatsoever, yet I can't make sense out of why shouldn't the state have a right to do anything within their territory. So I'm curious what people's thoughts are on that. Uh, you know what? It also brings up a question I have similar to that. So if, if the Second Amendment prohibits any state from making their own gun laws as far as take, you know, not allowing guns, juxtapose that with Roe v. Wade, you know, that prohibits states from uh, banning abortion. And I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I wanna let states do what states wanna do. Well, the what's second the amendment, the second amendment is not a restriction on states, it's a restriction on the federal government. Correct. That's I think that the Second Amendment, the Second Amendment was only aimed at the federal government, but the 14th Amendment comes in and through the incorporation doctrine, it's being applied. All the Bill of, Bill of Rights are being have been applied. Almost all of them have been applied to the states. And so it's a question of whether we want to keep federalizing more and more issues. I think federalism and having states make determinations is a better solution. But on the other so hand, on the other hand, like you're pointing out with abortion and some other things, gay marriage, uh, the left has no problem federalizing all of their issues. So, so are you saying you agree that states should be allowed to ban guns? I think that's the better policy, and I think that's why. And that's okay. So I disagree sense, with Sarah. Okay, give me one Esteem. second, Ed. Ed, I'm going to get to your opinion in one second. So. At the moment, before Ed convinces us otherwise, we're agreeing that trying to pass a law of gun rights reciprocity across all 50 states is not a good idea. Correct? I, well, I think I it's think a good idea, but I don't think it's, I mean, I, th I think that's a better society and I think it's a safer society and it protects the citizens' rights better, but I don't think it's compelled by the constitution. And it's not in line with states' rights. Uh, it's never been. It, nobody ever claimed that it was. Yet. It's, there was. There were going to. The Congress was going to pass a law implementing uh, nationwide reciprocity under the, you know, you know the clause, Fourteenth Amendment plus the clause that says the honor each other's things. So it's it was a constitutional way of passing, not just uh, right. some judge ruling. I feel like it usurps states desire to not have guns. I don't like it. Well, I mean, states have lots of desires. Some states don't want black people. So, I mean, our, the, the question is, you know, self-defense is a, a fundamental right. You know, the ability to serve on a jury, not so much. But self-defense is a fundamental right. And I, you can't have a free country without the right to self-defense. Who, who disagree with you and look, they're right. I don't stand in the way of people not defending themselves. I mean, if there, that, if you know, there, there is a there is an issue with federalism that I agree with, and I agree with you know basically I agree with the idea of federalism. But you have to understand that federalism is something that um, 
has to be taken down to the level of, of a small area and a small group of people, not 40 million Californians. That's crazy. California is bigger than most countries in the world. Um, you know, they have dry counties, so, uh, some places where you're not allowed to sell alcohol. You're allowed to possess alcohol, by the way. You're just not allowed to sell it. Um, and that prevents what they think uh, are, uh, you know, bars, nightclubs, gangs, whatever. I'm not a big believer in dry counties, but on the other hand, I don't think it's that big of a deal to have dry counties. So, you know, if some county somewhere wanted to, uh, some reasonably sized county somewhere wanted to ban the sale of guns, okay. They can't ban the possession of guns because they can't ban the, the, the inherent right of self-defense. But, you know, um, federalism is good have. when I mean, it's very New little. City, New York City has banned the right of self-defense. Obviously, some of them do. I'm just, I'm yeah, just. Yeah, I mean, that's. Well, that's wrong uh, from a moral perspective, it's unconstitutional. How do you decide and who decides what is a fundamental right? Ah, the framers of the Constitution and the people in general when they pass amendments. What amendment decides whether self-defense is a fundamental right or jury serving on a jury is a fundamental right? I'll field that one on a very simple anthropological level, factually not only in the kingdom of fauna, but in the kingdom flora, the, the instinct of self-preservation is the most fundamental existing thing in all of biology, period. Plants kill each other. Bees kill each other. Monkeys will cannibalize and rape each other. To, they'll do anything. Anything that lives by our definition of life will do literally anything it is physically capable of doing to defend itself. To claim that is not the most fundamental of rights is, is not even a non-argument. It's denial of 100% of life forms on this planet. But my question to Ed, though, was how do you decide whether something is or is not a fundamental right? Okay, so well, you, I can simply answer that for the right to self-defense, and that's the answer. The answer can is, a state, okay, so a majority right. can't take that right away. Nobody can take that right away. because. So is there any right, I'm arguing for the Californians, is there any right for people to live in an area, and Ed's talking big area, small area, where there's no guns on the street, where they feel safer? Can I make a homeowner's organization and ban guns? And I don't. And I, say I, I think, I think I, in a libertarian society, which we do not have, mind you, um, yeah, I think you, should, you could have homeowners associations that, you know, properly speaking, can, can, ban, can ban guns. Yes, you can. That's small enough. Nobody has to move into that neighborhood. That's a small enough thing that, that, that you, can, you can do that. I, I think that's perfectly fine in a libertarian society. In the current society, um, which is not a libertarian society and in which uh, I, I do not think that's legitimate, but yes, I, I agree. In a, in a square mile development uh, that wants to ban guns, absolutely. You know, those the people who want to ban guns generally think banning guns is defending themselves from guns. I'm not yeah, saying they're, they're idiots. That's their logic. Hey, they, they may be so idiots, but do they lose logic. that right? I will, I will counter Ed P's contention. You do, there is no such thing as a right if that quote unquote right involves preventing someone else from having a right. 
Well, if you're because let's laser, look at it this way. Let's look at it this way, Laser. In in, in in all history, right? Um, there were businesses, bars, for instance. Um, even in the most crazy, you know, pro-gun places that say, "Hey, okay, no guns inside. You got to leave your guns outside if you want to come in." That's and 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 that's uh, you know, I, do I think that's necessarily a good idea? No. Do I think that's a reasonable thing for a private? Uh, uh, organization like a HOA or a, a or a, a business to say, sure, they can say that they're responsible for your safety, mind. I think they there's a very big of being responsible. I think there's a very big difference. If if you get hit by a car outside your HOA, you can't reasonably sue the HOA. If you get shot in a bar, you can sue the guy who owns the bar. A bar and an HOA are not the same thing. Actually, we own our streets, so if if an accident occurs on our streets um, that it resulted from the neg our negligence, because I'm on the board, our negligence to keep the streets in repair, uh, the HOA can be sued and we do have insurance. For We're getting in repair. Somebody backs their minivan out and a kid is driving their tricycle down the driveway or down the sidewalk and the van runs over the kid. You can sue the HOA because if that exists, then let's burn every HOA in America because that's bullshit. No, no, that, that doesn't. Right. That's my. You can't go after the HOA. However, if that happens in a bar, you can. And We're HOA having the same problem Christy Nome had in New Hampshire today. Zoom is freezing. <laughs> Christy Nome appeared before AFP today in New Hampshire, but she froze out three times. Oh, really? At a special meeting that they have. So until Laser comes back from where he is. So if California wants to be gun free, we're then saying their only option, which I am in favor of, is to leave the country. Well, let me just say this. I think a lot of states, all states, <laughs> have, have their own constitutions. And we need to look at each state and what the language is in their constitution. I know a lot of states do protect right to bear arms. Some, I think New Jersey is one, doesn't make any mention of it. <laughs> so I no, think- California is one that does not. That's absolutely does not. So like Virginia's I, does, but California's does not. This is one area where at times I think even I have trouble wrapping my head around it, which is we understand that we have the Bill of Rights and it restricts what the federal government can do. But does that mean that states can just roughshod over our natural rights? See, I, I don't think that, I'm sorry, Mike. I don't think that's right. I, there's an interesting book about like, you know, the, the 14th Amendment and gun rights, which I read. Now, uh, the, the basic idea is after the Civil War, the Congress passed the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which basically imposed on the defeated Southern states uh, civil rights laws for black people, uh, meaning all of the regular rights that white people have uh, have to be um, uh, ha have to be given or protected by black people. And this was definitely including the right to keep and bear arms. I mean, it was explicit. The Supreme Court uh, overturned the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1866 is unconstitutional because they said the federal government did not have the power to impose civil rights legislation on the South. And so the um, Congress came back and said, okay, 
uh, we're going to write the power to pass the Civil Rights Law of 1866 into the federal constitution. And that was part of the 14th Amendment. Now, the other parts deal with other things, but it was basically the point of the 14th Amendment was to give the Congress the power to reinstitute the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which basically made Blacks uh, free and equal citizens in the Southern states. And that included the right to keep and bear arms. Now, you can talk about other bizarre interpretations of the 14th Amendment and the incorporation doctrine and all of the bad law that has come from it. But at the time, that was the point. And so I'm, uh, uh, it's really very difficult to argue that the 14th Amendment did not mean um, equal rights for blacks and whites for the specific civil rights, including the right to keep and bear arms that was protected in the federal constitution. It's not abortion. It's not like, um, you know, gay marriage. It's not any of that crap. It's that, that was specific, uh, you know, habeas corpus, right to be on juries, right to have, uh, you know, a fair trial, due process, the right to keep and bear arms, the right to free speech, all of that. That was the whole point of the 14th Amendment with regard to um, the unpersoning of the freed slaves. I understand what you're saying, but again, when I look at the Bill of Rights and I look at the Second Amendment, I, I see that as really absolute. Congress shall make no law. So does that mean New Jersey yeah. no law? California shall make no law? Absolutely. Well, okay, so what Ed P is saying, what Ed P is saying is until the 14th Amendment, the states had these rights. With the 14th Amendment, they lost it. See, my original question was, I'm uncomfortable in my own mind what I believe. As a states rights person, what do I believe? What you guys are talking about is legally with the 14th Amendment, states lost the right to not do anything. Look, if we're going to invent a country, Gulf to stand. We, we, if we're going to vent a country, um, we could argue about how it should be created. But when you're talking about a country that already exists, like the United States, that's, that's uh, falling apart, that's near a civil war, um, you really have to uh, take a facts on the ground first kind of approach to this. And um, that's why I think that while in principle, uh, in Golfistan, you could have uh, homeowners associations, private plots of land, uh, right into their thing that no one should have guns with legal penalties for it. I think in the United States, uh, that would be suicide. And so we should um, never under any circumstances give a single inch uh, about gun control. We should advocate for all gun laws to be repealed, the National Firearms Act, the Gun Control Act. Uh, all the local uh, and state laws, all of them gone, zero, and yet not with, with, 100%. With all of what you're saying, New York City bans guns. So yes. they get away Am with that because nobody forces them not to, I guess. Right. Am I back on? We, Can y'all hear me? Yeah, somewhat. Welcome back. Okay. So, I mean, several quick issues. New York City is not even the worst. Hawaii literally. 100% explicitly banned it and that was just overturned by the Hawaii Supreme Court a couple years ago. New York City says you can technically sort of kind of get one that just requires an 11-page application that'll probably be rejected. Hawaii said go 
You're still in and out. Illinois, less than 10 years ago, or I want to say maybe 12 years ago, Illinois also had no way whatsoever on the books to get a carry permit. Darn it. We need a laser link with laser. <laughs> no, he's right. He's right. There are states that are worse than New York. Very few places are worse than New York City, though. New York City is about as bad, if not, I, I can't think of any place that's worse than New York City. That is even it's a utopia. Even oh, wait, no, neither is Chicago. Yeah, no, the Illinois laws have been overturned. So um, on the basis of Heller and McDonald, specifically McDonald dealt with them. So um, that's not, that doesn't make Illinois quote unquote safer, but it does make certain individuals in Illinois safer. Um, you can't have a safe uh, city without policing. Now, interestingly enough, one of the candidates for New York City mayor, I can't remember which one, is campaigning on pretty yeah, much- Yeah, the black guy. We like him. Armed. Yeah, I is like him. Adams from name. Brooklyn, is he doing it? Yeah, yeah. Right. He's right. Military. What, is, what is this person campaigning on? Armed citizens. Oh, to knock down the crime rate in your armed city. citizens, or I thought it was just he was going to carry himself. Yeah, I think- Originally, he carries or something, but I believe he or one other candidate is campaigning again. I'm not up on it, but since like yesterday, the day before, on people being able to carry guns in New York City because it's so ridiculously unsafe. Now there is a federal law. There is a federal law that says any state law enforcement officer or retired law enforcement officer may carry their weapon, may own a weapon, may carry it anywhere in the country, despite all of the local laws. Not the federal laws, you can't carry it in a post office or a courthouse or anything like that, but you can, can carry it anywhere despite the local laws. He is in, this guy we're talking about, Adams is, did you say his name once? He's an ex-law enforcement officer. So he's allowed to buy and carry a gun anywhere he wants. Now what That's about why the equal protection law? It's mythical. Oh, yeah, that's, well, it's, that's similarly uh, situated. Of course, it's totally unconstitutional. It's mythical. I'm going to try this one last time, and if I get cut off, I'm going to quit here. But to finish my statement about the 14th Amendment, the 14th Amendment is illegitimate. So is the 13th Amendment. I, the fact is that once Lincoln, by force, took the South, he then put in the people that he wanted to represent the South. Those people were not duly elected in almost any of those Southern states, without which not a single amendment to the constitution could have been ratified. So Lincoln basically calls up his 10 buddies, says, hey guys, want sweet new amendments for jotting up? And they go, hell yeah, because you're gonna make me a Congressman. And that's how that went down. Yeah, that's how it was passed in the House and Senate. The- right. 13th Lincoln Amendment was legitimately was yeah the 13th Amendment was legitimately uh, ratified the 14th wasn't was because not. it was basically right. the 14th um, one was not threatened correct and that is what created the doctrine by which all states are now subjugated to a document written only to control the federal government but let's be honest laser even though we know this to be true and like 
it's like this last election. We know it's phony, but the procedure was followed and Congress legitimized the phoniness. So um, even though we know the election was phony, Biden is the president because he's uh, I got a lot you of really issues. believe I, I got a lot you of really issues. believe that it, I do, too. Does that mean that if I embezzle a million dollars off you, I can get away with it? Because on paper, I made A look like A and B equal C. If you are arrested and tried and the court finds you innocent, it's your million dollars. I OJ. disagree. I think you should come shoot me and take your million dollars back. I, I got, Ed, I don't know if I want to go into this. I got a lot of issues with if we know for sure something's illegitimate, that it remains that way. I got an issue with the Astros keeping their rings. And I have, I have a lot of issues with this. You know, I, I, again, I'm not a committed birther, but I lean towards that. And if 20 years from now, Barack Obama comes out and says, you know what, I lied to you and all the newspapers lied. Now, there was a time we didn't think the newspapers would all across the board lie and cover a story. But now with Hunter Biden, we know, yes, they all would lie and cover a story. And he can just go, na, 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 na. We go, well, look, he got it. So who cares? I don't know if I buy that. Now, what do we Why do? I hear you. And I think that's, I don't know, but I think that's a legitimate point of view. And we could have that discussion on the 14th Amendment, though. I mean, do you really believe that if some court ruled that the 14th Amendment wasn't properly ratified, that we wouldn't get uh, 37 states ratifying it tomorrow? Well, then that's exactly the reason. We but now it's it. too late. But that's that is the that's, issue. That is a great argument. And you're right. Exactly. You about abortion. If everybody wanted abortion, we could ratify the amendment in less than 24 hours with email. So that I kind of agree with. By the way, you know, you, know you were talking about Talmudic logic before. There's a line in the Talmud that says the sinner can never be rewarded, meaning that whenever you cheat, we have to take away the prize. So again, it's a tough argument, but if you're correct, then let's re-ratify the 14th Amendment. I think it's a great idea. This conversation reminds me of the of the article that we we shared last week, I think, from Daniel Horowitz about um, uh, judicial precedent and how conservatives, as soon as you know, as soon as the as soon as the left breaches the Constitution and gets the court to buy, you know, to give them something that they want that's unconstitutional, you get these guys like Roberts and Kavanaugh to defend it as precedent and and uphold it and. Uh, Thomas being the only one on the court that seems to be willing to overturn bad precedent. Um, I, and I'm with you. I with the says, concept of precedent, and I always have, because what precedent means is if somebody's an asshole and they mess up or intentionally screw the system, it's screwed forever because now it's precedent. Well, they I happen to know, excuse me, Laser, in Philadelphia, whenever they were meeting, they said specifically, Roe v. Wade, precedent, hell or not. That's right. I can't, I can't argue with that. That's right. You know what? Precedent. Plessy versus Ferguson is, is precedent. Dred Scott oh, is precedent. Time. Let's give black people back. Hey, that's wow. the whole Korematsu point. Korematsu is precedent. Lock up Japanese people. No, but that's the point. Just rule of law and that you have to reason, you have to give reasons for overturning something. It doesn't I think that's crap. Stone. I think that's crap. Okay. Well, the problem is we are, like you say, we only overturn the ones we don't like, and then we can't overturn those. Roe v. Wade is precedent that can't be overturned, but trust me, Heller's going to get chipped away at. It's crap. Every case should be tried exclusively on its own merits, and I don't give a shit what anyone decided at any point in the past on any other case because it was not the same case. But yeah. in order to be able to live in a free society, you need to be able to know what the law is. You've got to be able to rely on what the law is. 
And if every Ooh. case is going to be decided on its own fours, then you don't have law. You don't have anything that you actually, Ed. The I problem with that have, argument, I've heard that argument. The problem is that the last few presidential changes we've had of who's in office. They change the laws willy-nilly. Look at what Biden's now doing with changing the definition of sex, which is going to affect the laws for hundreds of thousands and millions of people on his whim. We no longer have any consistency within the law anyway. So to use that excuse for the judiciary, I don't think this is strong an argument anymore. We, we literally, now that we're ruled by presidents and not by Congress, they come in and they write 90 executive orders and they change everything. Now, I don't know if that's a good idea, but that's what we're doing anyway. Here's my problem. I think that the Constitution is the law and that each case needs to be tried against the Constitution. If one case steps two steps left of the Constitution or two steps right, and then the next case steps two steps off that precedent, and then the next case where we are now, where Supreme Court cases are so far from anything resembling anything constitutional that, I mean, this looks like crap from the moon nothing it makes no sense we're making rulings off of, of what is it an emanation of a penumbra or a penumbra of an emanation one of those yeah nothing to do with it because we're taking one step and then one step and then one step and then one step and when we turn around 250 years down the line we literally most cases don't resemble anything that even vaguely is affiliated or associated with the word of the constitution you know and i was going to make the argument against the constitution not against precedent I didn't want to belabor the foreign policy issue, but one of the things I was going to bring up before is our foreign policy swings so far now with different presidents that I don't know how we basically have no foreign policy because now that Biden is in, then Trump was in, then Obama was in, all these countries, be it Israel, Taiwan, Ukraine, they're literally have their heads spinning and we can no longer have any coherent alliances because the word of the country means absolutely nothing anymore. So maybe it's an ideal that we should have consistency, but we don't have any anymore. But that's really just a reflection of how divided the country is at home. It's, I mean, we've, we've, had, we've, had, we've had long periods of time where our policies were consistent and, and bipartisan. I mean, the Monroe Doctrine lasted 200 years until Obama said no, no more, right? I mean... Right. So what I'm saying is, unfortunately, we don't have if the point of judicial precedent is to have some kind of continuity and, and predictability in the law, we've really lost that totally. And I don't think it's a good thing for the country. But I'm saying just because you lost it, that's like saying that's like saying, well, I've got a cold, so maybe I should go and get cancer. I mean, the fact that the presidents are doing a bad thing doesn't mean that we should make it worse by having the judiciary do the same. bad. No, but it, no, but I can make the opposite argument. The judiciary is supposed to be more to the Constitution. The president does have the right I to disagree. policy. What? I disagree. You disagree that the Supreme Court should be more to the Constitution? Than the, than the executive and, and the legislative branches? Absolutely. I think no, the president of the United States has absolute power in foreign policy, is my understanding. And if he decides tomorrow that he hates Israel and he loves Timbuktu, or he loves Israel and hates Timbuktu, that's totally up to him. There's no restriction on his well, maybe as commander in chief but i mean are you telling me that that the president has the power to enter a treaty with a foreign country no that because says, that's specific and by the way first of all jctoa they did but and he doesn't because the constitution says he doesn't but okay, as but, far as, but, but are you saying that he can go and, and, and enter a treaty with another country 
based on his foreign policy power that says we're going to we're going to unilaterally we're going to mutually disarm including our citizens and the senate ratifies it and they get gun control through the back door that way just because the president has this unlimited foreign policy power i don't think so um he doesn't have unlimited foreign policy power with treaties because that's in the constitution but as far as i remember that the senate has to approve it right but the supreme court has said that basically the president has almost plenary power with anything in foreign policy and the courts don't get involved and even the legislatures can't that's built into the system and that's why when we vote for him every four years that's not even true i mean the courts intervened in guantanamo the that's not quite the same foreign policy as most other foreign policy, though. If the president of the United States wants to get along with China and hate Taiwan or get along with Taiwan and hate China, there's nothing the Senate can do about that. The, the president, that is part of his policy. And unfortunately, with or without War Powers Act and how we run wars nowadays, for the most part, he gets to run wars anywhere he wants and he gets to bomb any country he wants, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think his unfettered power is primarily as commander in chief. That's his unfettered power. I think the rest right. of it is all subject to oversight by by the Congress and and by the courts. Well, look, look, at, look at the Paris Climate Accord. We're in. We're out. We're, th- th- that's a treaty. The Iran deal. Where's the vote been? Well, it's a treaty that wasn't ratified, <laughs> like yeah. JCPOA. So I'm, I'm just saying. Anyway, I want to give you a chance. I know one of you wanted to bring up this business of the states rejecting unemployment. So if one of you wants to take up that issue and explain it to us and what the issues are, go for it. Well, I I think I mentioned it and I think it's a really interesting issue that's come up this week. Several states have uh, rejected federal extended unemployment benefits. South Carolina is one of them. Uh, The governor there, McMaster, signed a law that the legislature, uh, a bill that the legislature passed rejecting federal unemployment extensions. Uh, Montana, I think, passed the same law, and one or Wyoming, Arkansas, and Alabama. How many states? Five. So, and I think that that's an interesting development. Um, I think, uh, I think that the I'm interested to see how the Democrats respond to that going forward. If the if the right, that seems to be something that's catching a little steam for the right. Um, and I think that's a popular issue. I think people understand that you can't pay people more to stay at home and not work than they were making it work and, and not have a labor shortage. I mean, that's just baked into the cake. Um, but at the same time, if I'm, if I were the Democrats, I would respond to that by saying, okay, let's pay everybody because their, their whole goal goals is the universal basic income, UBI. And this might be a vehicle for them to try and ram that through. So I think it's something worth, you know, noting and worth following. So I have a question. If the government, if Biden wants to send me a check, where does the state get the power to say he can't? Well, because the, the unemployment programs are run, the, the extended unemployment benefits are coming from the federal government. And the federal, the federal government says, we will give you these dollars under X, Y, and Z conditions. And if the legislature of the state says, no, we're not going to accept those conditions and the governor accepts it, they don't accept the money. Okay. So that's what's happening. They're saying we're not going to accept the conditions. I mean, the federal government doesn't just give them 
unrestricted money. And if it were unrestricted, then the, the state could still reject it and say, well, we'll take the money and we'll use it for something else. Okay, because you're saying because the federal unemployment, this I don't know, because thank God I'm not getting any, federal unemployment, the check does not come from Biden, it comes from the state. Correct, although it comes, it, it originates from Biden, but it's directed through the states. Okay, so in that sense, yes, then they can stop it because they're ones writing the check. Correct. Okay, so that makes sense. Before, it didn't make so much sense because if the feds wanted to send me money, nobody could stop them, right? Well, the states wouldn't be able to stop them. I mean, if the federal government wants to send people money directly, the states can't go and block that. I don't right, think. okay, so they're blocking it by saying, we're the ones giving it out and we're changing the conditions. Okay, that's interesting. So then my so the question to that end is what about all of the direct deposits that the federal government has been doing with all of these stimulus checks? Because I know that my direct deposit is coming directly from the federal IRS, not any state, because that's what's stamped in my Right, but that's not stopping people from going to work. We're talking about the ones you get every month not to work. Right. So I'm saying, are those, what form are those coming in? Are those coming in as paper checks written by the state or are those coming as direct deposits from the federal IRS? They're coming as direct deposits, but from the state, not from the federal government. Okay, Okay. I understand. Are you sure? No, mine comes in, it says federal IRS or something on it. Well, that's for the stimulus, not the- The stimulus is coming. Right, the stimulus comes from the federal government, but not the- not the unemployment. Okay. So basically, if I understand what's happening, there's a lot of businesses claiming that they literally cannot get employees, that there's so many people out there who don't want to work. I believe some on the left are answering that, not with your answer, but almost with your answer, fine, we'll pay them more. Forget not only not doing universal basic income, just saying if they're making $15 an hour from unemployment, we'll give them $20 an hour, which again, to the left makes sense to us, doesn't make sense. Um, I think it's it's kind of weird to say there's so many people out there who don't want to work. The, the whole thing is so strange. It's not really strange when you think about the fact that with the federal extension, they're making considerably more than I made as an EMT. And working in New York City, I was making more than most of the country makes as EMTs. So can I put something out? So, you know, the Bureau of Labor, they don't come out with the state unemployment numbers till later in the month. But just looking at the most recent state unemployment numbers. Uh, okay, so the top 12 worst are all run by Democrats. And then these five states, the ones who want no part of this, are fare much better on their unemployment numbers. So maybe you know they don't wanna go the way of the Democrats and have high unemployment numbers, um, as you see with, you know, the top 12 of the, the, the states with 7% unemployment or higher are all run by Democrats. Well, that's and why so- I pointed this story out because I think that, you know, reason and logic is starting to prevail. People are starting to see what's happening. Um, and But it's interesting as to where it's going to go from here. I mean, I can see the Democrats using, you know, doubling down and basically saying, all right, this is, this is the time to go for UBI. Universal basic income. Right, but again, UBI is going to come through the states, won't it? Yeah. So then once again, the states could block it. I would contend it would all depend on exactly how they write that bill. Why couldn't they just write it that it doesn't go through the states in the same way these stimulus checks are coming directly from the Oh, yeah, I I agreed before I realized what you were saying. Yeah, I think it it could come from the Congress. Can't they become sanctuary states? Well, there's talk about doing that. 
but the states wouldn't have the power. If, again, if any of you want to send me a check, not that I'm suggesting you send me checks, but here's my address. And if any of you want to send me checks, say for a million dollars a week, there's nothing anybody can stop it with legally. Especially if it's a direct deposit. I mean, what it would take for them to interfere with a direct wire. There's no legal right to do that. Right. So now, okay, Ed, do you want to comment? There was a story and I'm literally just looking at it now because I haven't read it before. The headline was Governor DeSantis to sue Centers for Disease Control for shutting down American businesses during pandemic. Did you read that article? No, I didn't see that article. Oh, okay. So I know he's upset about the cruise ships. I'm not exactly sure what he's suing for. Is he suing to make them lift the bans on certain things or is he actually suing for damages? And could there be any such a thing as a state suing for the damages caused by having the businesses shut down? I don't think the state would have standing to file to sue for damages, but they might have standing to sue to to, you know, to dissolve an injunction or to, to for a dec- declaration that the regulation is unconstitutional or uh, otherwise improper. So just to so stop it from here it. forward. Potentially. I mean, I, 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 we should talk about that article next week. We should, we should, re- I, I should take a look at it and we should all maybe discuss it. And Okay. So in theory, your first thought is that DeSantis can't say to the federal government, because you shut down my state, I lost $100 million in taxes. You shut down Disney World, I lost all this money in sales tax or whatever. Even if he, had standing to, even, he would probably have standing for that one, but that's a speculative claim. I mean, how much, is it $100 million? Is it $200 million? Is it $50 million? I mean- But let's start, be- with 10, let's start with $10. But the point is, does he have a right to claim Every single year I made this much money, give me $10, we'll call it quit. Is there such an action? The burden of proof is on the plaintiff, which would be DeSantis in that case, to establish all elements of the claim. And one of the elements is what are your damages? And if you can't with certainty show what your damages are, the courts don't give you, you don't have a a cause of action. Well, would that be a jury? Could with absolute certainty show a pretty tight window range based on revenue between X month and X month for the last 25 years considering scaling, considering opening businesses and closing businesses, and then at least aim for the lowest end of that number as his claim damage. And I think that would be solid. Maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm of the opinion that even if a case is going to lose, we should make the left fight every battle and, def- and defend every battle. So I, I don't care if it's a losing case. Because I apparently he's also suing. Um, where's the story now? I'm trying to get this. He's suing about the borders. Um, Texas is suing again about the borders, which plays to what you said. We need to just keep suing and suing and suing. So Texas has got a whole bunch of lawsuits, I believe, about the border. But I'm arguing not only should they, they be able to sue to stop the federal government from what it's doing and to force the federal government to do things, but they should be able to sue for all the money it's costing them, which is definitely costing them money to take care of all these illegals. And I agree, like this. I, I, agree I think that we should just put all those illegals on a bus and send them to California. Unfortunately, they are, but they're not testing them for COVID and they're not necessarily giving them masks. <gasps> so send them to California, let California deal with those costs. Yeah, unfortunately, they're sending them to every state, as far as I can tell, including red states. Well, and that's what the red state governor should do. They should just round them up. Send them, send them to some other state. We don't want you. 
But I think it's fine to have checkpoints at state borders, but that's just me. Cause... Interestingly enough, my knowledge of California, which I'm pretty much involved with right now, is they really want these people. They are into totally open borders and welcoming everybody. Well, yeah, and it I guarantees think... the vote. And the more than they have, the more than they can for they can force the Republican presence out of Northern California and Irvine and get what they want. But yeah, but considering if, we're getting people to help push them into the Pacific, I don't necessarily mind. Maybe. Now, if I can channel a little bit of Alu here, I don't think that any of these lawsuits against any federal entities will ever go anywhere. I don't think they can go anywhere because, as he loves to point out, at the end of the day, you can't sue the person paying the judge and really expect a favorable decision. Uh, now, I've had this question for many, many years since my father was a federal judge. Yeah, that's why third-party arbiters exist in a divorce. If I'm divorcing you, I can't ask my brother to be the mediator because that's crap. Now, I am sure the lawyers have a different take on this. <laughs> Help us out here, Ed, because I have never gotten this. Well, I mean, it just if you look, it, it, there are successful cases where people sue the federal government, say, under civil rights laws, 42 USC, 1983 and 1988, and they recover money from the federal government or from the state governments. Um, so it, it happens. Um, I understand your skepticism, but um, it, it actually happens. I know it often. does happen, but the but here's, also, here's the second piece of it. One, I mean, it happens rarely. Yes, it, it has happened, right? Like it, there have been times when the stuff Went, went poorly. People have sued. United States has been a defendant in countless Supreme Court cases. There's everybody versus United States. Most of them are decided for the United States. Yes, it's happened. They decided against. But here's the second catch-22 of it all. Great. The United States loses, and they have to shell out $150 billion, which will promptly come out of the same pockets they're about to hand it to and also everybody else's pockets which is why it's meaningless to sue the U.S. because the only people that lose are the citizens of the U.S. Well, that's a problem in every case. There's nothing. So my father took a position on the Armed Services Board of Contract Appeals, which I believe there is no appeal beyond. And basically that was cases where people would sue the Defense Department for gazillions and gazillions of dollars because of problems with contracts. And then it was up to my father, who got paid by the government, to say whether the government should pay out tens of hundreds of millions of dollars. To say there's not an inherent conflict is really tough. Now, are there lawyer, are there judges who have fantastic ethics? I'm gonna have to say my father did, otherwise he'll come back and haunt me. And I'm sure there were a few more on the board, but to say there's no inherent conflict is a little strange, isn't it? I think that, I mean, that's like saying, can somebody serve on a jury and be fair and impartial even if they know about the facts of the case? Yes, I think yeah. people can do that. No, it's not know about but, the facts, it's they have a stake in the facts. And clearly, yeah. if you're working for the government and you're making the government pay out gazillions of dollars, you have a stake. I mean, the code of judicial ethics, the code of judicial ethics prevents you from uh, doing the things that are insinuated here. Right. So I'm, gonna, I'm not insinuating, God forbid. What I'm also, I'm going back to something Ed P said before, which is also Talmudic. You cannot expect people to have gazillions dangled in front of them and not become corrupt. And he, he said it as far as nonprofits, it's not open bribery and it's not open violations of ethics. All I'm saying is 
it's very difficult not to be influenced by the guy signing your paycheck. So I'm not saying everybody cheats, but I think to have a third party would make so much more sense. And by the way, isn't that why we have juries? Uh, yes. And I mean, depending upon the lawsuit, you know, you can, you can potentially sue in state court too. You don't have to, I mean, it depends on what, what we're talking about, but you can sue in state court and have your federal rights vindicated. If you're worried about, uh, you know, the federal government being the one who's paying the judge. Well, Ed, what you should have answered is, but wait a minute, Steve, you don't believe in juries. <laughs> well, I know you don't believe in juries. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a stronger answer. Okay, we're going to wrap up. Everybody, all the things you didn't get to talk about that you wanted to talk about. Go, Mike. Uh, well, the one thing that pops into my head is, is the hack on the colonial pipeline. And um, not to dwell on it too long, I, I, I did hear Larry Kudlow say that um, he believes the Russians were behind it. But it, it certainly makes you very concerned about our vulnerabilities. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I worry about more of a, a hacking of our electrical grid. <laughs> Why, you have an electric car? Sure, yeah. <laughs> By the way, is I mean, it- The first problem, if the, if the electrical grid is attached, that means there's no Liberty Block, after, you know. It's, oh my God. Is it clear that the Russians <laughs> did it, or, or I mean, is there any good? That's what Cud that's what Cudlow said. I mean, he voiced some other concerns. I think on Hannity last night that were trouble. Um, you know, where you know more more serious problems. <laughs> you know, I think we had this discussion about infrastructure a few weeks ago because they're trying to change the definition. But I would think we would have to agree that protecting the computers that protect infrastructure is also infrastructure. Am I correct? Everything's infrastructure, right? Well, I'm not going with Biden's definition, but in other words, if we can't protect the computers that run our grids, yeah, I, I think that is infrastructure. And I think now we tend to forget that Obama once put a trillion dollars into infrastructure. And every time they wonder why our bridges are in bad shape, I'm wondering what happened to that trillion dollars. Something about shrimp on uh, treadmills, if I recall correctly. I think it was all shovel ready, right? It was shovel ready. But I think you're bringing up an amazing point, Mike. This is really, really scary. It's scary. Really because scary. our military is worthless without fuel. I mean, nothing can go anywhere without fuel. And who's watching it? I think the By larger the way, point I'm, I'm going to ask a question. Go ahead, Steve. Me I'm going to ask a question as a libertarian who doesn't believe in government. Does the government have a role in protecting this type of infrastructure or should it all be private? How can it be private when it's foreign entities that are committing the, the you know, perpetrating the harm? Okay, the pipeline is run by private entities, right? Yes. So should, should it be up to them to protect it? I don't know. I mean, should, they, should it be up to them to protect it? Sure, but... You know, I mean, the, the planes that were used on 9-11 were private, were for, owned by private entities as well. Does that mean it, well, it had no foreign policy implications? I mean, just because it's a private entity doesn't mean that there's no role for the government to... I'm not saying the government shouldn't retaliate if we could prove it was a foreign government. But I'm saying it's the private company's responsibility to protect their own assets. Yes, and and... 
I think we're getting to a level of technicality that I don't, technical expertise that I just don't have on what it takes to protect a computer network. And I have no clue, but I know when we apparently are not doing it well enough. I, I think it was Israel that had the thing about poisoning all the water that they, Iran tried to hack in and poison all the water. I mean, this is really, really scary stuff. Like you say, if this happened to the electrical grid, and I don't think it's that far-fetched. The people well, it's clearly it. not very far-fetched because it just happened to the biggest pipeline in the continent. So it's not far-fetched. Right. And Israel yeah. did hack Iran's uh, nuclear program pretty much to death on several yep. occasions. Stuxnet. I think the larger point, though, about this colonial pipeline thing is you got to integrate it with all these other things that are going on in the world. The, the Hamas and, and, and Israel, you know, the Ukraine-Russia situation. I mean, Biden's been president for less than four months and the world is unraveling already. And I Well, think yeah, because it's Trump's fault, uh, obviously. You know, it's obviously not Trump's fault. Um, you know, and I see lots, I've, I've already seen lots of memes about how, you know, this stuff didn't happen under Trump's watch. And while I 99% agree with that, I, I can't help but remember that, you know, Portland was burning and Minneapolis was burning and lots of American cities were burning under Trump's watch too. So I, I don't want to romanticize Trump and, you know, he did, but he did do a better job with foreign policy and he did carry a bigger stick than than Biden. I mean, Biden carries a little stick and speaks softly. So um, that's that's my take on that story. And I, I think this really is a scary story because it's hitting, I mean, North Carolina, they're saying is really bad for gas. Is that what you're finding? Yeah, I, the night that uh, Cooper issued the emergency, which was Monday night, uh, I went out to try and get gas. And the first gas station was completely dry. And the second station I went to was half dry and I was able to fill up there, but I'm trying to minimize my driving because I don't know how the, the gas situation is going to be going forward. Yeah. It's pretty scary stuff. Okay. Thanks for bringing that one up. Jody. Um, I'm good. I'm listening. I, I still kind of wanted to get to the should we leave Facebook or not? I keep rallying for that. I, I really, I'm just curious because I'm interested in hearing people's takes on staying and, you know, why they want to stay and what it might be doing. All right, Mike, you want to take a side? We've been over this before. I mean, I'm happy to talk about it more in depth if Jody wants to next time, but. Do you think we should stay on? Look, I mean, my, I would love to be able to leave, you know, but there's not, there's no good alternative out there for us. And then, and then at that point where we are separating ourselves from the other side, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know that that's good either, but I mean, it, yeah, look, I mean, I, I'm troubled still by everything that Facebook and Twitter is doing. I mean, the leader of Hamas is on Twitter applauding, you know, killing innocent civilians while Trump is off. I mean, we could go on and on and on. We know they're fascistic. I, I, My take on this is, it reminds me, Steve, of, of all the times you've asked for a bright line rule. You know, where do you draw the line? And you know, should we be on Facebook? Yes or no? And I think the answer is it depends, maybe. Um, to me, 
I think that it, you know, I think it depends upon, first of all, what you're getting out of it and what you're doing on it. Um, you know, I use Facebook for lots of non-political reasons. Um, you know, I've got lots of health and nutrition groups that I participate with. Um, but even in terms of politics, I think, I think it's, to me, the right answer is stay on, but don't, but don't rely on it at all. Expect that they can just deplatform you at any minute. Um, you know, some, like Mike just said, some of the fights are taking place there. You know, if that's where the battle is being fought, you know, we're, we're leaders in, in the fight. We need to fight. You know, we need to be warriors. And, you know, I don't think that it, it helps our cause to let the other side go, under, you know, unrebutted. But at the same time, I wouldn't invest a whole lot of my time and my life into Facebook. I spent a lot more time on it before, uh, before January 6th and before the, the real bloodletting has gone on in terms of censoring us and shutting us down. I mean, the, the, the real problem at the end of the day is, I mean, yeah, there's the rights issues and whether you want to call it censorship or whatever, but it's, it's money. And we're empowering our enemies, just like trading with China. We talk about, you know, trading with our enemies is bad. That's, that's honestly my biggest problem is I, I hate the fact that I'm on there. I buy stuff from Amazon and I'm empowering people that are our political enemies. Let's face it. Well, if, I mean, if somebody pays Facebook money to show me an ad, why do I care one way or the other? I mean, the person paying Facebook is probably my enemy and Facebook is probably my enemy. I, I probably don't, I, I don't, to me, that's just at the very lowest end of my values as far as whether I'm going to stay on Facebook or not. Um, you know, because companies that, that respect me and respect my values aren't advertising on Facebook that way in the first place. So it really doesn't matter when I stop and think about, you know, what the, the issue you're raising, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I, I will never pay a penny of my own money to buy something, you know, through a Facebook ad, but. Yeah, but, but Mark Zuckerberg is getting rich and he's the one that's imposing, you know, censorship on us. Right. But it's sort of like, I mean, we, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about, you know, the, the Chinese persecuting the Uyghur, the Uyghurs to me, you know, I, I don't really care. I mean, I don't, I don't support Chinese human rights abuses. I don't support concentration camps. But at the end of the day, you're talking about two, two groups of people that have zero respect for human rights. I'm not going to spend a little, any of my energy worrying about either of those two sides. They're both bad guys. The, the two of you are sort of staying on the side of don't see the battlefield. And if we can make good use of it, to fight for our side, we can and we should, even though we may or may not be conflicted about supporting them financially. Does that sum that up? I think that's reasonably close, yes. Laser, you have an opinion? On this? Should we stay and fight or should we leave and not support? I technically still have my Facebook up. I think I log into it once every three months. And on extremely rare occasion, I'll use the messenger to send someone a happy birthday if I don't have their phone number. That's the extent of my Facebooking for the last year. So, right, because you you pulled off politically for your own reasons a long time ago. So, like in 2017, yeah. Right. So, and I also I, I agree with Ed in the sense that I don't use it much for politics. Matter of fact, I don't like anything political anymore. 
because as I showed you guys before the show, I've been thrown off twice a day, every day, if I like anything. Um, someone put up a thing about this is the most beautiful piece of music I ever heard in my life. I clicked like, and it up popped right up and said, um, we, you can't comment or something, and it locked me out again. So, but there are a lot of things that I do use it for that aren't related that I don't have another place for. So I do feel bad about supporting them, like Mike says, but I, I'm, I don't know. Now, am I unprincipled for staying on? I'm undecided. I think you just need to slowly sure whatever you're getting out of it, slowly find it elsewhere, like I did. And, you know, there are causes on it, whether it's health or, or other causes that I feel like I can contribute to on it. Yeah, but there are other websites and other forums. I mean, look, I left a lot of medical groups when I left Facebook. I was very, very involved in several medical groups and in several other groups. And you know what? I'm still alive and I'm way happier about it. And I have way more time. Yeah, but you can't afford a razor. Well, you know, it's, uh, I'm telling you, I'm going full Rasputin. Be ready for it. Yeah, now I, I wish that it would settle out who's going to win the Gab, Ewe, uh, Mike Lindell's new pillow site, Trump's supposed new site. I, I believe that most of us would move if things would settle out and we can move more people over. I just don't know how that's going to happen. Look, MySpace died and Facebook will die. At some point, one of them will just catch fire and something will take off and that'll be that. That's how the internet goes. That's how it's always gone. It was AOL Instant Messenger before it was MySpace. Folks, it was CompuServe before that, but you weren't alive. Yeah, well, you know, it was pigeons and smoke signals when you were my age, so it's okay. Thank you. All <laughs> right. I think we've gone about as low as we can go. So we will wrap up for today. We'll be up very soon as a podcast. I, if I can give a can get my, last, uh, my last opinion here. Uh-oh, we're fighting over the last last. Go ahead, Laser. Yeah, I didn't get to go either. Oh, I'm you can sorry. give the last last, Ed, because you're smarter than me. I just want to say that with all of the massive things going on right now, the, the pipeline, the possibility, probability that somebody foreign has hacked one of the most significant pieces of infrastructure in the United States with COVID still being as big a thing as the government can possibly paint it to be, with Ukraine, Russia being on the verge of an absolute explosion, with the Israeli-Palestinian situation being past that possibility, and this is going to be 2014 all over again. It's going to be all at war. With all of these massive, massive issues and another push for a gargantuan stimulus bill with money that doesn't exist, I think everybody should really be looking out for probably a massive number of things that are going to be slid in under the radar while there are so many huge things distracting everybody on the planet. I think now is the perfect time to slide in executive orders, to quickly pass vague new bills. I think a lot of things are going to fly under the radar over the course of 2021 because there's so much excitement with China and Taiwan and the Uyghurs and Olympics and blah, blah, blah. Nobody's talking about anything normal that people were talking about two months ago anymore. Now it's just the same five topics all over again. So I think it's, it's worth hopefully some people in the know are going to disseminate things when they happen, but I think we're we should really expect a whole lot of things being slipped in under the radar. Okay, so don't let the magicians take our eye off the ball. Yes. The the story there there are two related stories that or semi related stories that I, I wanted to just close with, and that was the first is 
Liz Cheney being uh, taken off the leadership of the GOP House leadership role, um, but being replaced by another woman who is Liz Cheney too by Liz Cheney too. Uh, I mean, yeah, I call her. You know, she's she's basically from the Lindsey Graham wing of the party. Uh, her name is Elise Stefanik. Uh, she supported Trump, but otherwise is is awful on everything else. And um, I think it's just typical GOP. This is part of the problem with the GOP. They're they're playing identity politics by looking for another woman to replace Liz Cheney. Um, if they wanted a woman, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of good candidates that wouldn't necessarily be women. Uh, but uh, if they wanted a woman, I, I shared with you guys Tucker's interview with um, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And anyone who hasn't listened to that interview, I encourage you to go find it on YouTube because it was a very interesting interview. She's been portrayed as a kook, but the interview to me shows that she's actually not a kook at all. Uh, she shares a lot of our values. And like Trump, she fights. Uh, if you you know, when we talked just a few minutes ago about being on Facebook and Twitter, if you follow her on Facebook and Twitter, she fights hard, she hits back, and she's worth listening to. I, she's too new to really be in the leadership, but if they wanted a woman, she was a woman that would be worthy of the title. Um, I can think of other Republicans in the, in the House. Uh, Jim Jordan comes to mind right off the top of my head, uh, who would be great in the leadership role. Um but the GOP doesn't seem to want to reward merit. They're, reward, they're playing the identity politics game. And uh, it's a shame because there are a lot of good people that have good, you know, good credentials and lots of merit that could replace Liz Cheney and make the statement that needs to be made. But of course, Kevin McCarthy is a Liz Cheney clone himself. So I, I guess I can't expect him to, to replace her with someone better. But I could expect some of the rest of the caucus to do something better. I mean, Matt Gates has done a good job. I mean, there are there are there are choices that could have been done that could have been better, but uh, to me, it's a missed opportunity. You said you had one more story, I think. Well, I just integrated the you know the Marjorie Taylor Greene interview with the Liz Cheney replacement. You know, it's interesting. I didn't listen to the interview for several days, and for whatever my own personal reasons, but I listened to it yesterday, and it was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And what made me sad about it, and I mentioned this to somebody else in the family today, I don't think she said one word that the average person on the street in any American town would have said. And the reason that's sad is because she represents so many people, but nobody in Congress. Everything she said was such pure American common sense that you could be in line at Target or Walmart and everybody would say it. Yep. And yet she's the odd man out. And that, that's what made me sad because it was a phenomenal interview. Absolutely phenomenal. It's what we would say if we were there. And no fancy words, no fancy stuff, no big stuff, just pure American common sense. Absolutely. It was a great so it, interview. It's really interesting. And all we can do is pray that she stays not being corrupted. Right now, she's a total outsider and it's absolutely refreshing. There's nothing, and I listen critically, there was nothing about an interview that wasn't phenomenal. So I'm actually glad you made me listen to it. Okay, can I wrap up now? Yep. Okay, I want to wish everybody a good evening. We'll be up very soon as a podcast. Once again, please send your feedback, positive or even neutral, 
to ejsshow at protonmail.com. Have a wonderful evening. We plan to be back next Wednesday, same time, same channel. Have a good week, everybody. Thank you.